welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. If there were a fire, which way would you run? Would your first instinct be to run towards it or away from it? Well, in today's episode, you'll get to know Anilu Vasquez Ubarri, who credits her success as a leader to always setting fears aside and running towards a fire. Anilu shares her journey from Puerto Rico to Princeton to Wall Street, choosing her faith over fear when challenging opportunities presented themselves. She shares her story so other young Latinx can follow in her footsteps and rise up from the ashes like a phoenix. Anilu is a partner and the Chief Human Resources Officer at TPG, based in San Francisco. Prior to joining TPG, Anilu was with Goldman Sachs for more than 11 years, where she most recently was the firm's Global Head of Talent and Chief Diversity Officer. Prior to Goldman, Anilu was an Associate Lawyer at Shearman & Sterling, LLP. She received an AB in History and Latin American Studies from Princeton University and a JD from Fordham University Law School. Anilu currently serves on the Board of Latino Justice, the Fordham University School of Law Alumni Board, and has recently joined as a board member for Teach for America Bay Area Regional Board based in San Francisco. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you will find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Anilu. Hi, Anilu. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us here at the Beyond Barriers uh, podcast. We are so excited to have you and share your story with our listeners. And you and I go way back. We have a history of working with each other at Goldman Sachs, but I love your backgrounds and all of the transitions that you've had in your career. And so we'll dig a little deeper with, um, with those and inform our audiences of how they too can manage these transitions. But before we get started, let's start with a little bit about your story and what you've learned along your journey. Well, Monica, it's great to be spending time with you. We do go a long way back and mm-hmm. it's always great to, to talk to old friends. Um, mm-hmm. So I am, I am from Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. I I tell people that my story is that I grew up speaking Spanish and Mm -hmm. uh, a traditional Puerto Rican uh, person and then got thrown into Princeton University. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And let's just say it was different. Uh, And so that was my first encounter with, uh, you know, adapting and being nimble and Mm -hmm. saying, we're going to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really has stayed with me uh, because I just have a real interest in getting to new environments and and learning, but also making something of it. Mm -hmm. And um, thankfully, I've gotten a lot of good mentorship and friendship along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, through I, it, the career has been a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would say my lesson is run to the fire. Mm. I think that when I yeah. think back the trend, even though I've done different things, is that I have been comfortable with doing assignments that at first don't look that sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that but that they have um, importance. 
Right. And that maybe it's in a time of crisis or maybe it's because there's a lot to do mm-hmm. um, to get it to the place where it needs to be, um, whatever it is. Um, but um, yeah, I would say run to the fire and usually that's where stuff happens. That's fantastic. Run to the fire, opposed to what most people would run away from the fire. I think uh, I really do love that uh, that metaphor of running towards a fire and just doing what you need to do. So in that, in your career, you've had a few transitions. So from a career perspective, right, because you're a lawyer, um, you, you know, and you did various different roles within uh, Goldman, but they were, they would shift from, you know, doing your like normal employee relations, then you went to different roles. Share a little bit about that, like you said, in terms of running towards a fire, when the opportunity presented itself, one, I'd love to know, how did the opportunity present itself? And then two, did you think twice? Did you have any fears? What did you, you know, how did you approach those things? Well, first of all, I think that the fact that I was a lawyer and I'm not now has provided a lot of comic relief because I get to introduce myself (laughs) as a recovering attorney and that never fails. People, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh, that just tells you something, I guess, Mm -hmm. about how Mm -hmm. people think about lawyers. But Mm -hmm. um, I think that how the um, opportunities came up have been a combination, actually. And I think this is a very important point. Not everything has been my idea. And quite Mm. frankly, some of the best opportunities in retrospect, I kind of hated the idea at Mm -hmm. first. Mm-hmm. And, and in one instance, actually turned it down. But thankfully, I got saved by a mentor that told me, don't do that. <laughs> um, so I think listening to what other people see either in you or in the mm-hmm. opportunity, I think is really important. And I think that also not expecting that every opportunity, again, it's going to look perfect mm-hmm. in the moment you get it, but that you can make it your own. Other things, you know, like my transition from um, law to Goldman Sachs was deliberate in the sense that I did make a decision that I did not want to be a lawyer and certainly not a lawyer at a corporate law firm Mm -hmm. um, as a long-term career. But I really didn't know um, what Mm -hmm. I didn't know, quite frankly. And the job actually was sent to me by a friend of mine Mm -hmm. that said, when you talk about what you want to do, it sounds like this and I and so and I didn't even know what employee relations was and that Mm -hmm. that existed in companies Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say also sharing your story even if you're not completely clear on what you want to do tell Mm -hmm. someone else what you're thinking what you're like because they might be able to help you with it Mm -hmm. and then there were um, some roles that I definitely um, did think would be good for me to have to round me up Mm-hmm. as I went through the the ladder. And it's about, you know, kind of learning how to do new things, even if you're getting more senior. Mm-hmm. But also one thing that I think has been really important as I've gotten more senior is getting comfortable managing teams and people that are better and more experienced at what they do mm. than you are. Right. No, and giving important. them the, the, the space to run, but contributing to their development too. Right. That's fantastic. And so you mentioned these opportunities. So two important things stuck out to me, your community or your network really helped identify some of these opportunities for you. And they approached you with the opportunities that you didn't think about, or you didn't think maybe were for you. Did you have any kind of limiting beliefs or fears in terms of 
you know, do I have what it takes or do I check off the boxes and the qualifications? Like, how did you get past those things? Yeah, I, on uh, two of those opportunities, I definitely was like, there is no, I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that I'm going to do a good job or um, I'm not going to do a good job fast enough. Mm-hmm. And like, so I was very hesitant and apprehensive of that. Mm-hmm. And I also, um, in some instances, I've had fears of, are people going to look at this and say, I got it because I'm a woman or I'm mm. Hispanic. Right. And that's, I actually think more um, debilitating in mm-hmm. the, the thought that I very consciously tried to get out of my head. Mm-hmm. Because then that gets you in a whole set Absolutely. of, you know, questioning. And so I, um, I think that a lot of times also I had fear because I had not done my research and I didn't know enough mm-hmm. about what the opportunity was. And had I known, I probably would have gotten more comfortable. So again, I really believe a lot as I've grown older in sharing more mm-hmm. of you know, your story and what you think that you like to do, even if it's aspirational at the Mm -hmm. moment. Um, And you're right. I have been lucky that some of these people not only have been good mentors, but actually they have given me um, feedback and advice that is like maybe a year or two years later is when it becomes evident to me mm-hmm. that, um, like what I need to do, but I always have remembered it. So, um, but I certainly have had my doubts, you mm-hmm. know, and you, you kind of have to work hard at getting over them. Right. No, absolutely. And I think that's an important one that you mentioned that, you know, thinking about, um, <clears throat> do I have what it takes? But then two, when you're thinking, and you know, why are they asking me for this role? Is it, is it some, you know, something, some kind of box they're trying to check, but you, like you said, you could, that could be self-sabotaging. And so you don't even want to go there, but really thinking about, no, I'm being asked because of my merit. And then thinking about those, you know, your merit and how you've kind of built up your skill sets and gotten the different experiences through the various different roles that you've had. Um, A lot of these opportunities came because there were people who knew what your worth was and they would see the results that you would, you know, the outcomes that you had and the work that you would do. So for some of these individuals that you, um, you know, you gained access to, it was really kind of the proximity that you had to these influential leaders. How do our women, because I get the question all the time of, you know, we'll have women of color who will say, listen, I want mentors or sponsors, but I don't know how to get one. And there aren't any that look like me. And I try to dispel that myth all the time that your mentors or sponsors have to look like you. But how did you gain access and proximity to these influential leaders? Yeah. So, I am actually, and this sometimes surprises people that I don't, I'm actually pretty shy. Um, <laughs> I like yeah. what, um, you know, my job requires me to do. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like reaching out to someone to ask them to be my mentor or like going to a networking event, for example, to try to make that connection. Mm-hmm. That's another category of things that scared me. And mm-hmm. I just was, I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the majority of my mentors have come from, um, they've been clients, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So okay. Been, mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been people that I have worked with 
quite intensely, actually, most of the time through some very difficult things. Mm -hmm. And um, they have felt that, you know, I was helpful that that went well from a content perspective. And I felt in return that it was a relationship that went beyond the transaction of the work, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and they do have things that I admire in them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, to your point about someone that looks like you, some of my mentors not only are look nothing like me physically, they're men, white men, Mm -hmm. but some of them who are women of color, they just do things differently than right. Mm-hmm. And I have found that actually to be a really important relationship because with some of those mentors, I can never get myself to do things a hundred percent how they have suggested I do. Mm-hmm. But you know, I get there like maybe 50, 70% mm-hmm. and it's better than how I would have done it. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's really important actually to get mentors that think differently from you, mm-hmm. but also on a practical matter right now, if you're a woman of color, right. for example, waiting to be mentored by someone that looks exactly like you, you might be short on options. Mm-hmm. No, and absolutely. so we're working on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, you should still get mentored. Mm. So tell me, you know, like you said, you, some of these individuals who mentored you um, were, you know, white men who had these success habits, right? Or effective strategies in, in order to be successful. And they were doing things differently than you. What is the one success habit or something that you found essential that you learned that they were doing differently than you that really helped accelerate your success? Yeah, I think um, speaking the truth in the meeting. Mm, that's a good and, one. And and being comfortable with being the dissenter. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, that also that just because you were dissenting and your idea may be good, that the crowd is not always going to go with it. Mm-hmm. But people will know that if you disagree, you'll do it, and mm-hmm. so they'll come to you when they want to check something out because they know right. they're going to get it straight. <laughs> And I think that that's something that, interestingly, I am that way in my personal life. Mm -hmm. And so with friends and and I have an inclination to be like that at work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did hesitate in some um, meetings, you know, Mm -hmm. and in certain circles. And I think learning that very early on Mm -hmm. um, really, quite frankly, has become a, almost like a trademark actually mm-hmm. of how people think of me. And I'm very proud of it actually, mm-hmm. because um, I think it has really allowed me to get into certain relationships and conversations mm-hmm. that I might've missed out if people thought that I was not going to challenge them. Right. That is a fantastic one because I think a lot of um, a lot of us, you know, myself included, sometimes will hold back and not say anything, or we will kind of sugarcoat what, <laughs> what we're trying to say. And you just yeah. gotta get. And then to there's the a meeting that happens after the meeting, right? right? Like exactly. we all have done it. We're like, you're like, well, can you believe that that mm-hmm. thing? I really think, and you know, I take it very seriously when people like mentees of mine or people that work on my teams, when they say that, I said, well, the, there was a 30 minute meeting. Mm-hmm. That's when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can all go back and correct it, by the way. 
Mm-hmm. Just because you didn't say the first time doesn't mean that you shouldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, listen, I was thinking about this. I hesitated mm-hmm. um, and I should have said it, but I didn't. But I just wanted to know how I feel about this. And I'm happy to say it to the group, but mm-hmm. it's really important for me to tell you how I really feel. I think that is a really tactical solution that you mentioned, because I think many of us have had that moment where you leave that meeting and you're like, oh, I should have said something or I should have said this. But knowing that like, well, you can always go back and share that. Like you can say, I've given this some thought and, and then relay that message. I think that's an important, important one. Another that I wanted to ask was, um, you know, in, in terms of thinking about telling the truth, I, I think the hardest thing is for people to, one of, one of my former colleagues and, and, and friends always said, when I was looking for mentors, making sure that you have people who are kind of a level above you, who are going to mentor you into that next role, peers that you can kind of like, kind of, you know, talk to and kind of bounce things off, um, you know, and, and talk to, and then the truth tellers. And I think I've always considered you a truth teller because you just kind of like shoot from the hip and say, hey, this is how I see it. And um, how important is it? How do you find the truth tellers? Yeah, first of all, the other category of mentors that everyone needs to have is someone below you. Mm, true. And Very. that's the whisper market on you. We, there's a whisper <laughs> market on all of us. Right. And sometimes the whisper market is wrong, but you still need to know about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. the whisper market is right, and you need to have people in your life that tell you how you get perceived mm-hmm. by the so mm-hmm. that's very important. The truth tellers most likely will reveal themselves to you in two ways. One, if you yourself are a truth teller. Mm-hmm. Because for those of us that are truth tellers, it can be a little bit lonely. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more yes. comfortable to just say what people want to hear. Those people are usually described as like, they're so nice. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like good guy. God, she's really, you know, like mm-hmm. good people. Right. So just know that a truth teller will be very inclined to mentor you <laughs> and to be part of it. If they see, Oh, she does that, you know, I better go over there because I know what that feels like. Right. The other uh, way is a truth teller. If they give you feedback, mm-hmm. make it comfortable for them to give you feedback again. Mm, that's a really important one. Yes. And so we all need to check ourselves in terms of how we respond to people, particularly people that are not our managers, Mm -hmm. that if you think about it, have taken the extra step and the risk Mm -hmm. that they may offend you, that you might be annoyed at them and have told you something that other people are thinking too, they just Mm -hmm. don't tell you. Right. And so I think about it as a two-way street and it's almost like a pact Uh, but you have to send signals. It's like a relationship, right? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. You need to send signals that you're interested. No, that's very, very true. I remember, you know, just for me, when I first joined Goldman Sachs, I think that was my first corporate experience because I had been in academia. I was at NYU. And I remember getting the feedback and thinking, oh, that's harsh. But then I remember thinking, okay, I need to like that, that individual 
stop giving me the feedback because they could tell that like my feelings were hurt or that had gotten upset. So I remember going back and saying, okay, I need you to give me the feedback that you, that, you know, you had been giving me and you stopped. I may cry. <laughs> and if you see the tears, that's okay. Just keep going. But I want the truth because I realized that if I wasn't going to get the feedback, that I wasn't going to know like, you know, what to fix. So I think that's super important. Like you said, they'll reveal but, themselves. Monica, that's another very important point for people who are mentors and managers. And it actually is something that I also tell people a lot. Someone crying doesn't mean that they don't want to hear it. It's literally a physiological response. Mm, some people get mm -hmm. angry. Some people cry. Right. Some people get really embarrassed and they like put their head down. Mm -hmm. So have an agreement. But like when someone cries, if mm -hmm. you're giving them feedback, you should ask them, are you comfortable? Like, should, should we pick this up another time? Or are you okay? Because I know you may just be crying because this is how you feel in the moment, but you still want to have this conversation. Absolutely. And I, and I learned really quickly that a lot of my male peers and especially my male sponsors were, would be hesitant. But when I gave them permission, I said, hey, I just sometimes I will tear up or, you know, but I doesn't mean I want to stop the conversation. Like I truly want the feedback. And I remember, you know, one of our, you probably know Lance, he rolled up his sleeves and he said, all yeah. right, well, here we go. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, just being able to ask for, for that feedback. I think that's really, really important. Um, how do you how do you interpret feedback though? Sometimes when someone t gives you feedback and you may not really, you know, uh, internalize it, um, how do you go back and ask for clarity? Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, is you should always try to remember to ask for clarity in the moment mm -hmm. and to ask for examples. Mm -hmm. Um, also to ask if the feedback is coming from, you know, a generalized point of view of people, mm -hmm. is it consensus or is it still relevant feedback, but is, you know, based on certain relationships that you have that mm -hmm. may be particularly difficult. And I didn't ask that second question until way too late. Mm, <laughs> and right. the reason why it's important is not so much because you want, well, first of all, don't ask that question to go and like be mean to the people that got right. the feedback. That's not the point. But like, I think that the reason why people sometimes can't, um, really act on the feedback is because they, it seems out of context to them. Mm -hmm. Like we think, well, but the majority of my relationships are not like that. So mm -hmm. this must not be right. Right. And the reality is that it might be right in certain contexts. And so you need to understand what might be triggering either your behavior or other people's behavior. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're going to get feedback that is going to be like noted Mm -hmm. And I am comfortable with that. I'm going to manage that mm -hmm. because I don't want to change it. I think it would be net, net, not positive. Mm -hmm. But you need to be aware because when you enter those relationships and those conversations, you probably want to um, handle yourself differently, even in what you say up front mm -hmm. to kind of lower the temperature. Right. Or to show that, you know, whatever impression they had of you, you that's not really it. And you're going to show them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing about the feedback part is the feedback might be true about you in the past and may be lingering, even if you have made progress. Mm -hmm. 
And so the informational content in those moments, it's actually about how you're going to change impressions as opposed to your behavior. And that can be very frustrating, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important because again, you'll appear like you're like rejecting Mm -hmm. the feedback when in fact you might need to just go and get coffee with someone. It's not Mm -hmm. going to be that complicated and tell them, Mm -hmm. like, I know you had this perception, you know, I got the feedback and I just want you to know the things that I've done and that I thought you were right Mm -hmm. and you really helped me. No, that's fantastic. I think the the follow-up and kind of closing out too, like when you've gotten feedback and you have really embraced that feedback and made the changes, I think it's important to go back to that individual and let them know how it's helped you. I think that's that'll then lead them to give you more feedback and help you grow. So, um, and one thing I wanted to mention is you were saying that you, you really do embrace feedback and we always talk about feedback here at Beyond Barriers about it being a gift. So accept it like it's a gift on Christmas morning because it's actually going to help you grow. So I think all of the points that you shared on that were fantastic. By the way, that's not easy and that that's not where I started. And I just want to be clear. Mm -hmm. There's some feedback that I still get that I like to like portray myself (laughs) as someone accepting of the feedback, but Uh I have my, you know, my moments Mm -hmm. and that's very human. And so but you need, but what I will say is I don't let it destroy me as much mm-hmm. also emotionally mm-hmm. um, where it gets to the core. And also I might not like it in the moment, but then like you also have to hold yourself accountable to say, well, there has to be some nugget of truth mm-hmm. in, it. in it, but it's, it's hard. So I don't want anyone to think Monica that mm-hmm. I've perfected this. <laughs> <laughs> by any means no i i that's the one thing i struggle with all the time even even now it's like having to remind myself it's a gift and then i find myself being cynical and being like yeah well sometimes i don't like all the gifts i get but but it's still yeah. having to say it's a gift yeah and again like part of the um reason why people um have a difficulty with feedback is not all that bad it's actually mm-hmm. because you're you don't like to disappoint people mm-hmm and so the closer the person is giving you the feedback, well, in many ways, that's good. I find actually that's the hardest. Part yes. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I've let them down. And mm. that's like a huge cultural thing, you know, mm-hmm. the Latinas. No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you-, you can't, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I have actually learned to manage that emotion, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I actually feel that that, to me, was a lot of what was happening. Mm. So I want to shift gears a little bit and think about, and and some of it has to do with feedback, right? Because you talked about emotional intelligence and EQ of managing that. But in this current environment, given, you know, the pandemic and everybody working from home and remotely, a lot of these conversations now happen virtually. And usually when you are having feedback conversations or even performance review conversations, they're in person and you could, you could, there's visual cues you could pick up on, but it's a lot harder now, especially with some people for whatever reason, still not using their camera. But um, how do you, how do you handle that now virtually? How has your work or how have your conversations changed now that you're holding them virtually? Yeah. And, you know, this has been a big topic of conversation generally for us at TPG. Mm-hmm. And actually, I just did a session for managers on this because we're about to do mid-years. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, first of all, it is completely unacceptable for mm-hmm. people 
to have a conversation with you pretty much of any kind, but certainly about your performance and your career without being on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reverse of that is that you need to get on camera too. Exactly. So I don't <laughs> care what you need to do. Um, you know, FaceTime, Skype, mm-hmm. Zoom, you just figure it out. But mm-hmm. I think it would be very detrimental to the outcome of that conversation if you don't put the effort. And quite frankly, if you can't even put the effort to do that, mm-hmm. then there's something else that we need to talk about. But <laughs> So we as a firm have been talking a lot about this because we are not a huge FaceTime company because we tra- all travel all the time as part of our business. Mm-hmm. But we are a high contact, high touch firm. Mm-hmm. And so... People have adapted, but it, it, it was a hard cultural thing. Mm-hmm. And so now, for the most part, people have gotten used to, we, we use Zoom, um, and people have really made an effort. My message to the managers in this conversation was, it really you need to really take an audit of your relationship of everyone on your team. Mm-hmm that you're having these conversations with. Because if you have developed and have particularly in the last couple of months been in close contact, you can take some liberties mm-hmm. in and how casual you are and how kind of, you know, like how much you improvise to give this feedback and try to treat it like you would in mm-hmm. the office. The less of a close relationship you have, mm-hmm. the more you need to invest in the preparation for that conversation. And literally there are things like, Monica, you know, look at the camera because mm-hmm. the other person, that's where your eyes are now. Yeah. This, by the way, has taken me forever. Because I'm like <laughs> such a person who looks at people's eyes when we're in meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, so if I want them to look at me in the eyes, where do I have to look? Mm-hmm. So even from tactical things like that to even acknowledging opening the conversation that, listen, let's start with how you are. So mm-hmm. the first tip that we give to people is like, please don't dive into, here are the things, Jamie, that you did well. Mm-hmm. And here are the things that like, you can't run the script the same. Yeah. It's a pandemic, people. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot going on in terms of like, how people feel about whether they're included or not, mm-hmm. their role in not having included other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on. So I think that preparation and individual audit of your relationships is the key. And mm-hmm. again, because it's a two-way street, then you receiving the feedback, you need to do the same thing. And we also need to let some things go. Mm-hmm. Like so if your manager didn't get it all perfect, but right. they tried in this environment, tried right. to focus on the message too, because it's just hard. It's hard for everyone right now. No, absolutely. I think it's been a shift for many people um, to do a lot of the virtual kind of, I mean, it was, it's, it was overnight. There, there was no easing into it. It was kind of like, this is the way you have to do it. So like you said, be, um, <clears throat> be generous and be understanding that we're not going to get it right and we're kind of working through it. I think that's extremely, extremely important. Talking about having to adapt um, and having to, you know, how do you, how do you adapt? What are your like habits or your success habits on kind of like learning on the fly? <sighs> yes, um, and I've had to do a lot of that actually. Mm-hmm. 
is as we discussed, I had very different jobs and not all of them mm-hmm. I knew. I would say, I mean, I am an, I am an avid reader. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm a history major and mm-hmm. I never thought about this, but like my instinct whenever anything comes up that mm-hmm. I don't understand or feel like I know as well is to go and read and like immerse myself from a content perspective. Mm-hmm. I also... Uh, always try to talk to people that have done it Um, Mm -hmm. or even if they haven't done that work, like people that I respect that have a good framework. Mm -hmm. So like, if it's like, you're going to go and run, like I still remember, you know, when I became head of talent and was still the chief diversity officer at Coleman, it meant Mm -hmm. that there were 300 people Mm -hmm. all together in the three different teams reporting to me. Right. I had not done that before. Right. So I went and talked to people in technology and operations in other divisions that even if the content of what I was going to do was different from them, like how do you maintain mm-hmm. you know, human contact with 300 people? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, for me, it's been a combination of reading and quite frankly, right now there's so many digital mm-hmm. um, also resources so podcasts like this you mm-hmm. know movies like you know anything you know a video a short video um so i do a lot of that and then you know i think that the other thing is i think we're all so busy and when you start a new job or or a new responsibility the tendency is to want to go and do mm-hmm. and we don't spend as much time time on setting the priorities and the strategy up front mm-hmm. because it seems like a bit of a waste of time because like right. but you can get so distracted and be all over the place and you can't boil the ocean like right. you just can't mm-hmm. and so you have to decide because that will help you actually control the message mm-hmm. and tell people here are the things like this is the roadmap get their feedback mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I think that that's another very important thing. You, if you get a new job or a new responsibility, you need to go and talk to the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just do the job the way that you think right. it should be done. Mm-hmm. You should do it that way and then also the way that they want it to be done. Mm-hmm. That's extremely important. And I think the, the key message I'm getting from you is that you asked. One, you went and kind of immersed yourself and did some of your own kind of a learning and, and edu- self-education, but going and asking people. And I think the important thing to get from that is that you didn't see it as like, oh, if I ask, they're going to think that I'm, you know, not I- inadequate of, of, you know, or, or not know, but you went and asked for out of genuine kind of, this will get me there faster, right? Yeah. And then again, I think um, the other thing about that is because I have this happen like people come and see me or like talk to me about like they're starting a job and what they how they're thinking about things and not only are you picking like actual advice but to the extent that those are going to be your clients and your stakeholders Mm -hmm. it is a lot harder to not be supportive of a strategy of a project if you have already talked about it I mean, right. you can always change your mind and contradict yourself, mm-hmm. but there is like a, a very strategic uh, point about, you know, having people who are going to be in the final meeting or the mm-hmm. decision of whether they're going to approve your strategy. You should never get into a room and have that conversation with people for the first time mm-hmm. in that meeting. 
every right. one of those people because you want to know what they're going to push you on in the meeting and you mm -hmm. don't want to be like surprised by mm -hmm. the points of what you're trying to do mm -hmm. so it's very time consuming by the mm -hmm. way so um it's a strategy that sometimes uh, people have a hard time with but i think it pays dividends quite frankly right or they don't do it at all and so there's a little bit of and i'm going to ask you this only because the lawyer in you is probably going to answer this really well but there is a level of getting that buy-in or that level of negotiation and what are your i would say you know just cliff notes version of how do you negotiate even if it's for getting buy-in for a strategy or a project that you're working on or even just for compensation you know what is that you know what are your key kind of things that you focus on around negotiation yeah so i think when it comes to the project or getting people along with you i think that follow-up questions are very important Sometimes people tell us like I'm not supportive of that or like they make like a face and you get so disappointed that mm -hmm. you give up and you don't ask them why mm -hmm. or how could they get there. And so I think that asking is it a are you a no on this philosophically or are you a no on this timing wise like right now this would not be something you can do or you would be supportive of us doing. Or do mm -hmm. you not want to do it because the last time this was done here, it wasn't done well? Mm -hmm. Do you mm. not want to do it because you think that someone else should do it, not me? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these are kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, right? yes. But I love those questions. I'm taking notes. <laughs> so I think that you need to understand why, more than why people are supportive, you need to understand why people are saying no to you. Mm. And I kind of feel like that's very applicable to um, compensation and promotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So first of all, my biggest pet peeve about people having conversations about compensation is that they have it in the compensation meeting when their compensation <laughs> is being delivered. Right. Well, public service announcement, too late. <laughs> don't, yes. uh -huh. don't even bother. The only thing that mm -hmm. you can say in your comp meeting is thank you very much mm -hmm. and if you're disappointed you should say i'm disappointed um and i'll come back to you but that is not the time for you to get you know mm -hmm. like your questionnaire out mm -hmm. because that decision has been made right so i would suggest to people like right around now mm -hmm. if you're having mid-years is a great time to say hey i was happy with my comp last year Mm -hmm. um, and I want to understand what are the different bands or the different um, behaviors or things I need to demonstrate that would move me mm -hmm. because then you'll find, well, actually you're, you'll be in that band or, mm -hmm. you know, in that range for some time. And it's not um, performance related, it's role related. Right. For example. Well, then like, do you need to change roles? Exactly. Or actually, is it a good thing that, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, you might not get paid more that year, but if you get the experience and you stick it out and you mm -hmm. build relationships, maybe you can move to something else or maybe you'll be able to move up the ladder. So this is a lot of this exercise is information gathering. Mm -hmm. And by you asking questions, a lot of the managers will know that you're onto it. Mm -hmm. Now, there might be some more specific things that you want to say that are like, 
I, um, I feel like I have done X, I've demonstrated X, and I want to get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if you're thinking about it the same way. Is, are, you th- are you focused on my pay for this year? Mm-hmm. A lot of conversations, Monica, also are related to promotions. Mm-hmm. And so while I don't think that they should be always brought up together, mm-hmm. I do think that people, sometimes you may need to ask the promotion question before you ask the comp question. Right. And this will differ by company. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, again, talking, like being very self-reflective, this is where the shy person in me comes up. Like, mm-hmm. I have a very hard time talking about my comp. Right. And so one other thing that I would say is it's really important who you work for. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you have a hard time with this question. Right. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask it. But if you work for someone that you don't trust, mm-hmm. you're going to be in this cycle where you don't trust them and they don't know that you are not happy. Right. And that is going to not go anywhere. Right. It so is, it's a disservice of, for both of you. Right. Yeah. So part of this also is you need to know yourself and what you're comfortable with. And the advice in this category, I do feel is very personal. Mm-hmm. No, that's fantastic advice. And I think the insights that you've given individuals, because they need to ask the questions, because half the time it's just because they don't know how to navigate the performance cycle or they don't know how to navigate the organization itself, right, on, on how to be successful and how to have those conversations. And I completely agree with you that they usually, when they do bring it up, it's when they get the sticker shock of like, oh, I didn't get this bonus or, oh, I didn't get this, this number that I was thinking, but it's too late at that point. They should have had this conversation a lot earlier in terms of managing expectations or managing what it is that they think that they wanted. So I love that you shared that and and giving them some of that insight. So one last um, question in terms of thinking about all of the changes um, that organizations are facing, not only just dealing with pandemic and and whatnot, but then just thinking about um, the digital revolution, right? There's um, artificial intelligence, work is being done differently. How do you stay ahead? What is the key to accelerating your success and staying ahead of the curve and, you know, so that our listeners can also adopt? Yeah, so I would say the this situation as it relates to the future of work and digital has proved that digital mm-hmm. can be human. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people have made it an either or. Right. So I love actually that a lot of this uh, tech digital tools have now become part of our normal life. And mm-hmm. I really think that they're here to stay. Right. Um, and I think that all, I am spending a lot of time thinking about what are the things that we were forced into mm-hmm. that before we had all these reasons why either not to focus on or be like, it's not going to work. And guess what? They're working, <laughs> working from home. Yes. Everyone can do it more. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't go away. Flexible ways of working shouldn't go away. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if they go away, you're going to fall behind from a talent perspective. People are going to want to live different places um, and they can do their work from wherever they are. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that that is radical. The other thing is that there's no excuse for those of us that travel is a big part of our job. Why you can't even like, instead of calling someone, do a FaceTime if you're in the airport, right? Mm -hmm. To check on someone on your team. So again, the human part of this, and that will be true for clients too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing is that we're having to use different parts of our brain. Mm. But I also think that as a result, because everyone actually has ended up working more mm-hmm. in this scenario, yes. I feel like wellness also and mental health have become mm-hmm. part of the vocabulary that our employees, our leaders, everyone is talking about. Mm-hmm. And mental health has been an underinvested part mm. of the culture of firms. Right. And I think that I'm actually very excited that there's some de-stigmatizing of that topic right. and a tie into high performance. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, self-care, I think, is it's the most important thing. And I mean, you see the analogy every time you travel, right? You have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help somebody else. Yeah. And if you don't, you're only going to get so far before you, you know, pass out from not having oxygen. So I think that's extremely important. Well, Anilu, it has been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and um taking all of your pearls of wisdom and all of your wonderful insights. I'm sure our listeners are going to uh, want to hear more or maybe get in contact with you. So what's the best way that they can reach out to you? So, well, first of all, Monica, thanks for having me. I think you're uh, extremely talented and I'm so glad that you guys are doing Beyond Barriers. Uh, I think it's, um, it's, it's great to have such great content coming from you and your questions are like what's on everyone's mind. (laughs) I'm on LinkedIn and that's the best way Mm -hmm. to get in touch with me. Um, And I likely, if I know the answer, I'll give it to you. If not, I'll refer you to someone that can help you and be better than me. Fantastic. Thanks again, Anilu. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.